Hello, and welcome to The Corporate Activist. I'm Siri Khalsa, and I'm delighted to have you join me today for another great conversation about how businesses can engage in social and political issues to lead positive change in the world. We all know how important networking is, and because social impact is still a bit of a new field, it can be difficult to find other people working on it. But my guest today has made it his mission to fix that problem. Jeremy Brown is the founder of Social Impact World, a global community of social impact leaders focused on turning the corporate world into a force for good. He's also the host of Behind the Impact podcast, where he explores how companies use their people, products, and capital for good. With a decade of experience, mostly in the tech industry and almost just as much in social impact, Jeremy has spent most of his career helping startups grow while encouraging them to contribute meaningfully to society. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to an awesome conversation with you. Jeremy, I'm really happy to have you on the podcast because I think you're doing something that's really innovative, something that's very needed, and I want to hear all about Social Impact World, but I'd love to start by just learning a little bit more about you. So, Tell us about your background, your education, and what got you interested in social impact. Yeah, so born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area, I just can't seem to leave this place. <laughs> this is where you know I've I've had a lot of life experiences, and you know, in terms of education and whatnot. So went to school uh, in Hayward, which is in the Bay Area. Then went up north to Sonoma State uh, University uh, for four years. And then as soon as I graduated, I came right back down to the Bay Area and just, like I said, haven't left. But in terms of how I got into social impact. So when I graduated in 2011, I ended up joining a pretty large company based in the San Francisco Bay Area. This is a company that had a lot of resources. So a lot of money, a lot of people around the world. So we had a lot to give back. But unfortunately, we never actually did give back. So no volunteering, no monetary donations, nothing. You know, that's not to say that it was discouraged from our executive team. It just wasn't something that was encouraged or even talked about internally. And so I was there for about a year and two months, ended up leaving and going to a pretty small startup. I believe at the time we were probably 25 to 30 employees. And one of the executives happened to come from Salesforce. And so he brought with him this whole Salesforce mentality around giving back the company and prioritizing these activities. And so what ended up happening was very first week on the job, we went out and volunteered as a team. And me being new to the workforce, that was my first time really experiencing that in a business setting. And I loved it because it gave me a chance to get out to the community, roll up my sleeves and do something that was meaningful. But also it gave me a chance to get to know my colleagues outside of the workplace. And so naturally when you're having those type of shared experiences, conversations just kind of materialize out of nowhere and they're meaningful. And we talked about, you know, their lives or families or careers. And just, it was a really, really fun experience. And I remember about four months after, you know, going through that, I reflected on this new company that I was at and how we were active in the community and doing so much versus the previous company that I came from where we had all the resources and didn't do anything. And so for me, that didn't sit well. And I really wanted to figure out how to get more startups involved in their communities. At the time, I had no idea how I was going to do it. It was just an idea that I had. 
but I did have a background in event organizing. The large company that I came from, I was on the team that was organizing large-scale technology conferences. So at least I had that experience. And so I came up with the idea of creating an event where I would invite different companies to come out and simply volunteer alongside each other. And so that became the first organization that I started called Startups Give Back. The whole idea was to invite multiple companies, have them volunteer alongside each other. So combining networking as well as volunteering. So it could be employees from Facebook and employees from LinkedIn volunteering alongside each other as one team, if you will, helping a nonprofit. And so that was 2015. So from 2015 to 2019, that's what I was doing, organizing volunteering events on top of working nine to five jobs in, in marketing. And so that was really my first kind of step into the social impact arena, if you will. Yeah, amazing. I like how that kind of grew organically and grew from experience, I think, rather than just, you know, maybe a, a theoretical or a ideological perspective. <laughs> so one of the things I'd love for you to help us with, because we're using the word social impact or the term social impact, and some people still feel it's sort of interchangeable with CSR and corporate social responsibility. And I'm curious, because you've built your new platform using social impact, I'm curious if you see a differentiation between CSR and social impact. And if so, what what is it? I do see a distinct difference between the two. However, they're starting to blend a little bit more. So I've always seen CSR as more reactive. It's kind of in the title. So corporate social responsibility and it's being responsible as a business. Social impact for me has always been active or more proactive. So proactively using your people, products, and capital for good. And so that's the distinction that I've always seen between the two. And the conversations that I have with leaders, they see that as well. But again, they're kind of blending together. And the one issue that I feel like we have in this whole kind of corporate impact space, if you will, is that there's different names for all types of different things in different disciplines and whatnot. And I feel like it does create some confusion. And a lot of this work is pretty much the same. There's some small nuances. So, you know, it does create some confusion in the sector. Yeah. And I guess we, you know, you can throw ESG in there too, because that, yes, absolutely. that's one of the terms that sort of took on or rather took off, particularly in sort of the investing space. And people were like, okay, you know, ESG funds and things like that. And yeah, as you say, it wasn't necessarily you know, it meant different things to different people. <laughs> but I, I like your definition of CSR versus social impact, because I think that makes a lot of sense. Because CSR, as you say, is something a bit more reactionary rather than being proactive. And I think what we're looking for, and I think what we're trying to encourage is a real proactive engagement by companies who are taking a stance on issues, getting involved in campaigns and not just doing it because they feel they have to, but because they really, it's part of their identity and purpose. Yeah, absolutely. And they're kind of starting to blend together. I'm starting to see more leaders who have a CSR job title, for example, really leaning into more social impact initiatives and kind of bringing the concept of being proactive into what they do day to day too. And so you've worked a lot with startups and I'm just wondering, do you think that startups have an easier time, let's say, giving back or involving social impact into their day-to-day -day operations and more established companies? Or is it something that 
you know, a company that's been running a certain way for 20 years can also put into their what they're doing? I would say yes and no in terms of having it easier. So when we look at larger enterprises that, that are more established, as an example, they have the resources. So they can kind of accelerate the work if they really wanted to. They have the resources to do grants and you know hire full-time staff and whatnot. Obviously, startups typically don't have that. And it is hard in the sense that as a startup, you're so focused on building your business that this whole concept of social impact probably doesn't enter into your mindset. But, and it also depends on the executive team and the makeup of the executive team as well. If you have a CEO or co-founders at a startup that are really interested and involved in social impact and wanting it kind of baked into their company at an early stage, then it's easier to actually kind of get that and establish it and grow it. An example of that is a company like Salesforce. Mark Benioff and team created their social impact efforts at a very, very early part of Salesforce's existence. And as we see it now with Salesforce.org and how it's grown so much, that's an example of you know an executive team truly buying in at an early stage and just getting started and then allowing time to kind of help expand and scale that program. Yeah. And I think you are seeing it even at the creation of some companies like Bombas or something where it's like, yes. you know, part of what we do is the social side of it. And it's not separate from our regular or Warby Parker or, you know, not separate from our, our normal day-to-day operations. Yeah. That goes back to the idea of having a C-suite that truly buys into, into this type of work. And more importantly, I would say it's having leaders that are already doing these, this type of work versus having it come from the employee base. Because, you know, typically where the, the leaders go, the employees follow. So if, the, if leadership is already bought into it and they want to do this, regardless of what size uh, business they are, then employees will typically follow. I want to learn everything about social impact world. <laughs> so what is it? Why did you start it? How can we all join? <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So Social Impact World in a nutshell is a global community for social impact leaders. And we have community members from all over the world with all types of different backgrounds from the corporate sector to the nonprofit sector to product and service providers. It's a an amazing community that is really, really engaged and plug in and very supportive. And I think that's my favorite part about this, especially with all the layoffs happening as well. I'm constantly seeing people just supporting each other, whether it's helping them find new opportunities or making connections. It's just been quite the adventure over the last couple of years of, of building this. But how it all got started, so I told the story about Startups Get Back and how you know I, I started that and was doing volunteering events and whatnot, Well, and also meetups. But when I was also doing the volunteering events, what I noticed every time I would have a meetup or an event, the audience would grow and grow and grow. And that was my indication that, okay, there's something here. There's This topic of social impact is definitely resonating with people. And so in 2019, I had the idea of creating an annual conference, ironically called Social Impact World. And so I started the process of finding a venue and doing all the things that you would do when you're organizing a conference. And then COVID hit in 2020. And so obviously I couldn't, yeah, (laughs) I couldn't do the in-person conference. And so I essentially pivoted the idea to what it is today, which is an online community. And so that's essentially how it all got started. 
what is it? I have explored the site a little and I have joined as a new member. So I'm just starting to kind of learn how it works. But what are some of the benefits of being a member and how do you try to connect people there? Yeah. So the core of Social Impact World is our Slack community. So we recently hit over 1,900 members in the community and it really brings together Number one, different people from different walks of life, but it really enables them to network with each other and share resources and connect beyond just the online world, if you will. And so we have things like events where I have a virtual summit that I do every single year. I'm in the process of organizing the actual first social impact world conference. So wow. we're kind of bringing that right. back. Well, let us know about that. <laughs> we will share it with our audience. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's going to be taking place in San Francisco in May, and I'm super excited about it. It's an invite only conference. So it's going to be very curated. A lot of senior level social impact leaders will be in the room. We have some good conversations about what's working, what's not working, and then also look towards the future. That's also a really important component of it. Yeah. So we have the conference. There's a lot of content. For example, I have a podcast where I interview social impact leaders to understand how their companies are using their people, products, and capital for good. Also have webinars that we do pretty much every single month with all types of different leaders and partners that cover a wide range of topics. And so there's just a lot of, of opportunities for folks to connect with each other and to learn. And that's, that's kind of really why I wanted to create Social Impact World to begin with. I don't think there's anything out there like that. Anything that's providing a platform for people in the industry to get together. There are other communities out there for sure. And, you know, I encourage anybody that's interested in social impact to join those communities because whether it's social impact world or another community, you're going to get value from that. It's going to give you an opportunity to get to know other people in the space and to ask questions. And if you are an experienced leader, it's also an opportunity for you to give back and, and help others who are wanting to learn about this type of work. And what is your podcast called? It's called Behind the Impact. Behind the impact, right? And I have listened to some episodes, and you have really top level people there. I love the one with the social impact manager from Duolingo. I thought that was a really interesting, and Shopify, and you know, some really big brands. And it's really impressive to hear the stories of, you know, just the commitment of these companies to developing their social impact and using their company as as a platform and as a, a driver of change. What have you gotten out of the podcast? What have you learned? Oh, there's so many awesome stories from that <laughs> come out of the podcast. But I am somebody who really likes to just learn about what other companies are doing. You know, this type of information, you, you have to basically find it manually yourself. You know, like if you're interested in wanting to know what a company like PagerDuty is doing or like a drone deploy or Salesforce, you have to go and actively seek out that information on their websites and do all this kind of manual research. But for me, when I'm able to have a conversation with somebody that actually works at the company and is doing the work, I get a lot of value out of that personally because it gives me a chance to truly understand what their companies are about from an impact perspective. And then also, Getting back to the stories, everyone has a unique story. What I have found is social impact leaders, there is not one way of getting into this space and doing this type of work. 
I've interviewed people that have come from the nonprofit sector. I've interviewed people that were on the marketing team or in HR and raised their hand and said, hey, I want to do this work on the side and then eventually pivoted their career into actually leading a program at their company. So that's one thing that I've taken from it is that if you want to get into social impact, there is no one path or multiple paths. And so it's just a matter of finding what works for you and what works for the company and then going for it. One of the things that's also I'm really curious about is from your perspective, what's driving companies' involvement to do social impact? And are there certain types of companies that are better at it than others? And also who is leading this? Like maybe before they hire their social impact leader or, I mean, you're saying it's a bit top down, but I wonder... You know, does it just mean that you need CEOs with this kind of vision or are there other ways that it can be developed? There's definitely other ways and it's not predominantly top down. It can also be bottom up. I mean, so it really depends on the company and obviously their executive team. Let's say it's a company that their C-suite is just not truly bought in. There are instances that I've encountered throughout, you know, through the podcast and having conversations with leaders who have built their programs from the bottom up, where it was kind of employee driven, employees kind of banded together and, you know, really pitched the idea to their their C-suite and their C-suite gave them opportunity and then they ran with it. And so in terms of like what type of company is better at this type of work, I wouldn't say there's a company that's better at it or a type of company that's better at it. I think it just depends on a lot of different factors. It depends on if you have a C-suite that's truly bought in and wants to do this work, or if you have enough kind of encouragement and energy from your employee base to then go to your C-suite and, and kind of essentially pitch them this idea. So there is no no one size fits all, if you will. It just really depends on several different factors. It's really important to consider all stakeholders. So you have obviously, you know, internal stakeholders, but there's also external stakeholders. So whether it's your customers or your supply chain or your position as a company in society where there's increasingly some pressure even, you know, that companies are under to engage in some of these issues. And, you know, I have found that really interesting that a lot of companies would be like, we don't want to talk about abortion. We don't want to talk about voting rights. You know, this is out of our wheelhouse. Yet they're being asked to. And sometimes it's employees, but sometimes it's just, you know, customers or sometimes it's just, you know, society coming to them and saying, okay, where do you stand on these issues? And it's adding a really interesting dimension to being a corporation in the world these days that they didn't have to deal with perhaps so much in the past. Yeah, there is quite a bit of pressure on companies to kind of stand up, draw a line in the sand and, and kind of let people know what they stand for. And, you know, I'm the type of person that tries to understand both sides of the coin, if you will. Like I can understand and empathize with companies that don't want to lean into these kind of initiatives and whatnot. And they just want to build a business that's, you know, Hey, we just want to, we, we just want to run a business. We don't want to be a, you know, in the, in the socially conscious business world, if you will. Then on the other side of the coin, you know, there are companies that do have the influence and the resources that can make a material impact. And so I do understand from their perspective too, wanting to lean in and draw a line in the sand and, and be part of the solution to, you know, systemic problems that we face in society. The challenge, obviously, is that how to do that in a way that 
makes sense, right? How to do that in a way that resonates with your customers that, you know, makes sense for your corporate value system and your corporate identity. And if you are wading in on an issue that perhaps is somewhat outside of what you normally do on a day-to-day basis, to make sure that you're really educated and you're coming at it from a, you know, a really authentic well-educated perspective, because I think, you know, obviously we've seen backlash to corporations who just, you know, show up on Pride Day or show up on, you know, after some event and they're like, oh yeah, we care about this too. And today's consumer is much too savvy to let that pass. (laughs) You have to walk the walk, you know, it's, yeah, the companies have to just show up on specific days or, or months in a year and then go dark after that. You don't hear anything about those those topics after that. I understand. Again, I can empathize why they're doing it and understand why they're doing it. But you know, if you're going to draw a line of sand and say you stand up for these type of initiatives, whether that's you know Pride Month or or Black History Month, as an example, you better have your house in order, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that was something that came up on a previous podcast where I don't remember if he named the company that he was working with, but they were wanting to kind of come out on some human rights issues and things. And then they actually took a step back and said, hey, are we in a position to do this? Because maybe, you know, if you open <laughs> some closets in our in our organization, there may not be some pretty good things to look at. But what it actually did force them to then make some changes internally to actually make them be a better company, more true to their values. And so then after that process, they were in a much better position to take a stand on, you know, human rights issues and say, you know, this is something that's important to us and this is where we stand on it and this is how we're addressing it. I love that. You know, take a step back, have internal conversations before you do something, make sure that everyone is aligned with what you're doing. Make sure to your point, make sure you're educated And then when you feel good about things, then make your stance known. No one is telling you that you have to just take a stance out of nowhere. Like make sure that you're educated and you are prepared for what can potentially happen once you do, you know, make your voice heard. The two key points there is one, to be really transparent, you know, because obviously that is incumbent upon anyone who's sort of trying to engage in this, in this world. And then secondly, you know, if you've made a mistake own up to it. Don't try to sweep things under the rug. And then, you know, it's important to understand that there will be some backlash. You know, you're not going <laughs> to you're not going to please everybody, but I think that if you're coming at it from a place that is really true and really authentic and really based, you know, rooted in your corporate values and then, you know, you you can fight the backlash and it won't hit as hard, I I would imagine, you know. Yeah, you're hitting on a topic that's important uh, and something that I really buy into personally is transparency. You know, and I, I know I feel like transparency is a buzzword nowadays. Everyone says we're transparent, we're transparent, but not everyone's transparent. But to your point, when you make a mistake, own up to it. Don't run from it. I feel like most people, when they know you're being transparent, will give you a little bit of leash in the sense that, okay, you made a mistake. Okay, we get it. Everyone everyone makes mistakes. We're all human beings. We're all trying to do our best work, do you know, live our best lives and whatnot. And so mistakes happen. And so I do feel like if mistakes have happened, own up to them, figure out how to you know, do better the next time, figure out the people that you need to talk to next time to get better educated 
And then, you know, next time you you go and, and make your voice heard, then hopefully it's a better situation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing that sort of upsets me more than a company that says, okay, yeah, we're going to, you know, we're coming out for, you know, Pride Month or we're coming out for Women's History Month or something. And then they realize like, you know, they get a little bit of backlash and suddenly everything's off the shelves. Yeah. And, and it's so disappointing because especially if you're a big corporation, like you should be prepared and you should really go into that with a very complete campaign, a complete understanding of why you're doing it, who you're talking to and, you know, how you're going to reach them. Yeah. And that's why having a social impact lead on your team is really important because they're the ones who are thinking about all the things that you're talking about. And what happens is if you don't have somebody internally that's really owning this and, and responsible for it, then you're scattered. You're not focused. You don't, you're not educated. And so that's why I'm a big advocate for having at least one full-time social impact leader on a team. Or if you're in a position where you can't hire full-time employee, get a contractor, work with an agency that has done this work and understands it. I want to bring up one other thing that we, that's a bit of a new topic, but I'm really curious to, to hear if you have some thoughts on it. We have an election coming up in the US. There's also elections happening all over the world this year. It's a big year for elections. And I feel like it's going to be a big year for corporations in election season and corporations having to not necessarily endorse candidates, but certainly endorse democracy, <laughs> let's say, and democratic values and, you know, voting rights, let's say. Actually, I, I last uh, during the midterms, I, I put out an article about some with some ideas advice for corporations about how to support the voting process, how to support democracy, just in terms of giving people time off to go and vote. You know, having information sessions in your organization that looks at both sides of things, creating a safe space for discussions. But I, I'm I'm sort of curious if this has come up at all in and social impact world, if people are talking about the upcoming elections and how they're thinking they might have to deal with it. Yeah, it hasn't really come up over the course of a couple the past couple of years. It's come up every now and again, just in, in general. Mm -hmm. But I haven't seen too many conversations, if at all, in the community about the elections. But to to your, your point in, in your statement, I do feel like companies need to ensure that they have the resources for their employees and again, give them the time off so they can actually vote. It's really important. So those are the things that I feel most companies or all companies need to have in place. I think it's going to be really interesting to see if there's even more engagement than that, because there is a lot of corporate money that goes into campaigns. It's not usually overt. <laughs> it's usually a bit more covert. But, you know, we saw after even, you know, the insurrection on January 6th, where corporations started pulling back some of the money that they had been giving to people who were supporting you know, overthrowing the government. But I, I kind of feel like it, it's an interesting topic for this year because when we look at some of the CEOs, you know, just even big, you know, Fortune 500 CEOs or CEOs that people know by name, I'm sure people are going to be asking them, you know, what candidate do you support? And then does that mean that's what your company supports? And does it mean that all your employees have to, you know, have to go along with that? You're still living in the States and California obviously is its own 
interesting ecosystem politically, but certainly it's been a very divisive issue within companies for a while now. Oh yeah, politics is always divisive. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm of the mind, you know, whether you're independent, Democrat or Republican, we're all trying to ensure that we have the resources and, and lives that we can live the best that we can. And so it's important to ensure that they folks have the resources that they need to understand all the issues. And, you know, whether, you know, big wig CEO at, let's say Apple, for example, <laughs> Tim Cook, let's say he, whether he votes Democrat or Republican, I don't, I don't know what his political viewpoints are, but that doesn't mean that the entire company has to believe in the same things that he believes in. Politics are, is one of those issues where I don't believe that a company's values should be based off of their act, the leader. And in terms of politics, it's more of a, if you're a Republican, that's fine. If you're a Democrat, that's fine. Let's figure out which issues we can align on, which values we can align on as a company. And then let's push forward on those things. Yeah. And actually, I think if you look at most of the big corporations, they they don't choose sides because, you know, they have to deal with who's ever in power. And so usually there's there's donations going to both sides. <laughs> you know, there might be a preference to one or the other, but it's usually not quite as cut and dry as just choosing a side and going with that. But I think it's going to be really important for corporations to do what they can during this election cycle to help their employees to vote, to make sure people are educated on the issues and, you know, to support democratic values as much as possible, because it's been a rough few years of (laughs) things going downhill. (laughs) Okay, Jeremy, you've been great with your time. I've got one last question. Well, maybe two things. One is, can you give us a few best practices? Because you've been you know, you've had some great conversations on your podcast and learning from people who are doing this. I'd love to know, because we try to give advice to businesses who are looking to do more in social impact on our podcast. And so if there are some best practices you can share in ways that you're seeing corporations leverage their power for social good, please share them. Yes, best practices. So number one, do a materiality assessment to understand what your stakeholders care about. Stakeholders mean your employees, C-suite, investors, but even go externally. What does the community care about? What are the needs of the community? Go out and talk to nonprofit leaders, understand what are the problems, what are the issues? How can we as a corporation best support you? If you take anything away from me, that's number one. Understand what the problems are and what your company cares about. And then from there, align those problem areas to the core values of your business. As an example, let's say that we are a healthcare company and you know we're, we're trying to ensure equitable access to healthcare. So we have a product that does that. Our core value happens to be ensuring that everyone has equal access to healthcare. Now from there, if we understand that value, and we understand that our stakeholders care about that. Now we can go to the community and see which nonprofits are aligned with those values and the core concepts of that. And then ask them questions about how can we best support you? How can we best ensure that 
we are collaborating in a way that giving other stakeholders like people who are going through homelessness or people who are you know lower income, how can we ensure that we're giving them access to healthcare? That's the foundation right there. And then also hire somebody <laughs> to do this work because if you don't have somebody that's focusing their time and attention on this, it's just going to fall through the cracks. You might have the best intentions. You might be jazzed up and excited because you're building a social impact function at your your company. But if you don't have somebody managing that, it's just not going to be effective. It's, it's very similar to if we look at the sales department, right? In a company, everyone is a salesperson. You know, because we're talking to friends, we're talking to family, we're talking to prospects, we're going to events. So we're all kind of selling in a way. But it's not until you have a sales team focusing on just that, the, the benefits of that can actually be realized. And then you can grow your business because you have people actually focusing on sales. So if you're trying to grow social impact, you need somebody or a team of people to actually focus on that. And then also I would say start small. You don't have to have this big program that has all the bells and whistles. Start small. And by small, I mean volunteer every quarter. Do that from time to time. And then every now and again, add something new. Maybe every other quarter or maybe twice a year or once a year making a monetary donation. So start small, then scale. And then, of course, if you have somebody focusing on this work, the scaling is accelerated because, again, they're focusing their time and attention on that work. So for any company, that would be my recommendations is to understand your your values, understand what your stakeholders care about, align all that back to the problems and, and issues that are happening in your local community or even a, a community broad, more broadly than that. Hire somebody full time to actually do this. Or if you can't do that, get a contractor to actually kind of manage things and then start small. And then scale as time goes on. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. And I would only add, if you are hiring someone, get them the C-suite so that they're close to just, you know, they're part of decision making and they have a voice and, you know, a seat at the table. Absolutely. Yeah. We started the conversation talking about the difference between CSR and, and social impact. And I think that is one of them is that the CSR person, you know, used to kind of have a basement office, <laughs> you know, somewhere and, you know, they would come out once in a while. And, and really, I think the companies that are working at this in the most dedicated way have their social impact person at the table with the C-suite. And they're able to really just incorporate all that into the day-to-day. That is that's such a great point. And yes, the person should be in the C-suite. Absolutely. You're in social impact world, <laughs> and I want to know from your perspective, where is social impact headed in the future? Yeah, so an emerging trend and conversation that's been happening in the space that really gets me excited is a concept of turning social impact into a revenue generator. I do believe if this work and this function is going to be here for the long term, there needs to be a shift in in how leaders think about this type of work. And so right now what's happening in the U.S., there's a lot of layoffs happening. And the C-suite looks at social impact as a cost center. So whether it's a function giving out grants or you know building programs, initiatives and whatnot, that's money going out of the business and nothing is really coming back. 
you know, people can argue that, well, brand awareness and, and whatnot comes back. But from a dollar and cents perspective, which is what a lot of executives think, you know, how they think, money's not coming back. And so they see it as a cost center. So they cut this work, you know, when, when times are tough. And so what's happening is there's this conversation around turning social impact into a revenue generator. So not only are you doing all the impactful work in terms of community engagement, employee engagement, and so on and so forth, but now you're also adding to the business's bottom line by generating revenue from the nonprofit sector. And what that looks like right now is selling a product or a service at a very, very discounted rate, whether that's 50% or 75% or even potentially more than that. And that money that's being generated from the nonprofit sector is obviously adding to the business's bottom line, but it helps leaders in the social impact function unlock more resources because now they're not seen as a cost center. They're seen as something that's adding business value. And so now from a C-suite perspective, they're a little bit more comfortable giving more resources to this team or person of one because they know that they're adding to the bottom line in addition to all the other impactful work that they're doing. And so that's where I feel like this work and this function is going is turning itself into a revenue generator. Yeah. No, I think that's really important because otherwise it's just not sustainable. And, you know, it has to, I think what we're hoping to see is that the social impact is really a force that's addressing some of these really serious issues that the world is facing today and whether it's environmental issues or you know social justice issues or issues around equality there is space for corporations to engage on these issues but yeah if it's just seen as a you know loss leader then as soon as things aren't going the right way you know that's all gone and and so i completely agree that there has to be a way that it becomes as important to the bottom line as you know anything else the company does. And, and therefore, hopefully also, not only from a profit perspective, but also in a way that everyone at the company feels some ownership over it so that the good that this company is trying to do in the world is something that everyone can feel part of who works at, you know, no matter what they're doing at the, at the company. Yeah. I'm, I'm really optimistic that social impact will be here for a long time. Good. Well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think, you know, what you're doing with social impact world is really great and creating this platform where people can come together because it's a burgeoning field and it can be hard if you're not in California, particularly um, can be hard, especially to find people who are working on the the same topics and be able to share information and share contacts and all that. So I think it's great what you're doing. And and I'm, I'm happy to be a a new citizen in the social impact (laughs) world. (laughs) Well, thank you for being a new citizen. I really appreciate that. No, it's great. It's great. Jeremy, you've been great. I've got two wrap up questions, if you will allow us. The first one is Please give a shout out to a brand or a company who you feel is doing exceptional work in the social impact space. Yeah, a company that I get inspired by. And I get inspired by them for a lot of reasons. Uh, but one of the reasons is because they're a private company. And so they're not public in the sense that, you know, they they don't have, you know, billions of dollars in the bank or anything like that. So they're, you know, they don't have all the the things that come with being, being a public company, like the resources. But the company is drone deploy. And 
If you're not familiar with Drone Deploy is essentially a tech company that you know works with construction companies, agricultural companies, and they use drone technology to help these companies, you know, survey land and their work sites from the sky. And what I really love about Drone Deploy is that they also use this drone technology for good. So they, they've used it for disaster uh, responses. They've used it f- to help with rescue situations. For example, there's an avalanche and you, you don't know where people are. You can use this technology to get a bird's eye view. And you know when helicopters might be expensive or not accessible, as an example, you have a small little tech platform that can actually do what a helicopter can do from the sky. And so... The work that they're doing on that front is incredible. And it's just, I love it because it's a practical way of using technology for good. I don't know about them. So we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes so people can check them out. Drone Deploy? That's Correct. Cool. Where, where are they based? Do you know where they? I want to say they're California based. I know they're a remote team right now. Mm-hmm. Their social impact leader, Rebecca, I believe she's based in Colorado. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they're based in California, but I'm not 100% certain. Okay. <laughs> cool. No, it sounds really interesting because, you know, drones, you don't immediately think, oh, yeah, they're doing really good things in the world. So, exactly. <laughs> so it's nice to see how they've been able to take it, their technology and understand how it can be applied to issues that are happening in their community, which is, you know, exactly what we want companies to be thinking about. <laughs> Cool. All right. And Jeremy, the last question is, what is something has made you laugh recently? So I started recently watching Office Space. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Mm -hmm. Yes. But I don't know why I didn't watch it (laughs) a long time ago. (laughs) But now every season is on, I believe it's on Peacock. But now they have every season on there. So now I'm kind of binge watching it. But it's just, you know, it's funny because you kind of being in that kind of environment myself professionally, you see the parallels and just the things that they talk about and the jokes that they make, it kind of transforms me or transfers me rather back to my time mm-hmm. in an office yeah. and how those dynamics and you have different personalities and whatnot. So that's the thing that continues to to make me laugh. It's just that <laughs> show. It's just, it's just the puns that come out of there, the, the awkwardness that comes out of it is just hilarious. You know, a lot of us are working remote these days, and some people may never know what it's like to sit in a little cubicle and, <laughs> and have to deal with the people around you. It is a different type of experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, Jeremy, I've really enjoyed speaking with you, and we will put links to you and to Social Impact World in the show notes so people can follow along. And I do encourage people to check out your podcast as well where there's some great conversations with people who are, you know, on the front lines doing this good work in the world and really informational. But I'm really, really happy just to connect with you and to know about Social Impact World and know that there's this platform now connecting people. So thank you for what you're doing and thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for an awesome conversation. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Corporate Activist. Please stay tuned for future episodes and do subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You can follow us on X and Instagram at Corp Activist. We'd love to hear from you. If you have questions or need advice about corporate activism, social impact, and political engagement, please do send them our way and we will respond in future episodes. The Corporate Activist is brought to you by Stance Advocacy Services and is produced by the good people at the Podcast Boutique. 
I'm your host, Siri Kalsa. Ciao for now.